Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Uh, and welcome to Praise Dionysus. Praise, Praise him. him. Hoo. Oh, oh, oh. Hoo. oh yeah. Hoo. Hoo. Baby girl. Hoo. Yeah. Hoo. Like a really angry owl. <laughs> um, today we're going to be talking about Blue to the Horizon by Sevenfold Theatre Company, June at Theatreworks, Rough Trade at Theatreworks, an untitled three-hander by Limelight Department Theatre. So exciting. Incredible. So exciting. Well read. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. It took us four takes when we got here. <laughs> I'm mostly saying that because I can see you need the encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I really do. Should we crack on? Sure. All right. Jake. Hello, James. Oh, here we are. Yeah. Once again. Back at it. Spring is in the air. It is? It is. I'm oh, walking God. here today to your place in the general south. Stop trying to tell people where I live. North of where we are currently. Yes. Um, and <laughs> I was strolling along. The sun is shining. The wind's out. There's beautiful smells and sounds. And there's hot people in the basketball court. Hot people everywhere. That's how you know that spring is oh, coming. Shirts off, working out. Good on them. Happy for them. Improve yourself. Are you talking to the what the non-hot? Is that who you? No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, if you're out there doing it, do it. Good on you. Yes. Let James's springtime horniness encourage you to become a healthier version of yourself. This is what I've been saying. That's what you've been saying. Yeah. How are you, Jake? I'm super duper fine. Um, I haven't seen you in a in a while now because we were meant to do this last week. Oh yes, we were meant to do a recording of this last week, so there was a week off for us because Jamesy got food poisoning. I got food poisoning. He got food poisoning. Ding, yes, ding, 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 ding. which is a very adult problem to encounter. Oh yeah, J- Jake doesn't want to hear about it because he gets disgusted by bodily stuff. Yes, yes, because I was raised in a very fancy British home, <laughs> which is not true. We are dirt people. <laughs> I was going to say that doesn't add up for you. No. <laughs> um, anyway, um, it reminds him too much of his childhood. Ew, what does? Dirt. Fecal matter? Dirt and fecal matter. This is revolting. Please continue. Anything um, else happened beyond so your... I, uh, Flynn has been... My, so, uh, before... I'll get out in front of this before yes. you pretend to be surprised. What? I have a boyfriend. James! I know. A boyfriend? A boyfriend of over two years. Oh, now. congratulations. That Thank is assuming you. that you like him. Oh, he's alright. He's alright? He's well, alright. I'll give you half a congratulation then. Just a congrat. A si- well, I guess a single congratulation instead of the plural. Oh, that, makes, that actually makes more sense. One the- congratulation. There you go. Thanks, I like it. It's like having a single audience. It is like that. Mm. Yes. Um, so he's been away. He went to Broome for a week with his friends. He went to Broome where? What was he brooming? Not a phrase. Is not he a, a janitor? Yes. Not a, not a thing. You sweep things. You can't uh, broom How stuff. about when you coined the phrase a sweep while we were talking about like Midnight <laughs> Cinderella musical? How could you remember this? Of course. If you're going to class shame Lucy Durack's vague godmother character, oh, right. I'm going to remember that you did it. Yep, fair <laughs> enough. That's fair. I, I actually have to eat my own words here and say yes. Broom. <laughs> Brooming can be a term, Jake. I'll take that. And that's why the debating team at my school, of which I was a part, did not ever win. Were you part of the debating team? Against my will. It's one of like this beautiful, I didn't realise how like beautifully ironic it was until I looked back on it a couple of like months ago. But it's like, I hated being on the debating team. I was only there because the teacher running it insisted that I be there. And every week I would go to the, like, the, the practice meetings that we would have. And every week I'd tell myself, I'm going to quit today. But then on my way to the debating team, I didn't have the confidence to have a, like, a conversation. A, oh, what? My God. You couldn't debate as to why you should leave the debate. Exactly. Team. I knew if she tried to debate me, I would just fold. Well, that and makes sense. <laughs> she's a seasoned debater. And you're not. Exactly. Yeah. And one could... Be... Yes, you could always also say that, I don't know, that's like a power imbalance. 100% that is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sorry to hear that you were bad at debating. 
Thank you. Thank you. That's all I wanted to hear. Really? No, no, no. There's okay. other stuff. <laughs> um. So what was I saying, Jake? You were saying that you have a boyfriend, apparently, news yes, to me. Yes, I do. Oh, he went to Broome. He went to Broome. Yes. He's been in Broome for a week, and uh-huh. he got back last night. Uh-huh. I haven't seen him yet, and I've been quite upset without um, him. Oh, you're on the rocks. I'm on the rocks. <laughs> Wait, no, what? No. no relationship. No. <laughs> no, no, relationship's great. That's good. Um, But I just miss him, and I'm keen to see him. I won't see him for another few days, because we've just got busy schedules, so that's, you know. Sure, well, I don't, know. I don't have a boyfriend, so I can't relate to these problems. But I trust you. You don't want to relate to these problems, Jake. <laughs> it's too hard. It's too hard. Yeah. It's too hard, you wouldn't get it. Has anything else happened beyond your pining love lawn? I saw Barbenheimer. <laughs> you saw Barbenheimer. You saw both of them. I saw, saw both of them. Not on the one night. Oh. Okay. But, I, but I saw them both within a few days of each other. Okay, that still counts as a double feature, I suppose. I think so. I saw one on the front. So you saw Barbie first? I saw uh, Oppenheimer first at the IMAX. Was there logic behind why you chose to see Oppenheimer first? Both of these were organised by other people and I was invited to or invited myself into. Um, <laughs> I saw Oppenheimer at the IMAX with... Uh, some uh, some some friends who they had a spare ticket yep. and invited and I was I, I sort of invited myself along. That's big of you. Thank you. I'm <laughs> very confident. I'm very confident. Is IMAX the one where they like spray you in the face when the characters go into no, like the that's jungle? No, like a 4D theater. IMAX is like the one at the uh, Melbourne Museum that's just a big fuck off screen. Oh, it's just big. Just huge. And loud also. Very loud. Oh yes. Yeah, I saw Dune there after an edible. Good time. I love any movie with beautiful cinematography, fantastic costumes, and a lot of gravitas. I think that's always great. Uh-huh. That's why I'm excited for Napoleon. It's why I'm excited for um. A Dune 2. You know, those two. Those two movies. I'm just... My brain's just going, Jake, say Atonement. <laughs> atonement? That's all. Arrival? That's another example. Arrival? I will never watch Arrival again, but I'm glad that Why I saw not? it. I just... It's... I, 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 knowing the concept of it now. Also, I didn't enjoy it that much. It was like... I think part of what I enjoyed about watching Arrival was getting to see Amy Adams do anything. Mm. And then also like... Jeremy unlike, Renner. Yeah. I guess Jeremy Renner was there. No, you love Jeremy Renner. No, we can't shut you, you up about him, can we? You, no. you got his app. You Ew. got the Jeremy Renner app. I never got the Jeremy Renner app. No, you also, you're the Marvel slut of the two of us. So I'm you... losing faith in Marvel, Jake. Don't say that. No, I <laughs> am. Secret Invasion really ticked me off. Secret Invasion. There was, new, there was a TV series that came out recently. Secret Invasion should have changed the entire structure of everything. Was just really underwhelming. <laughs> structure of the Marvel. Well, universe? like the whole point of Secret Invasion is so. Sorry, guys. You skip ahead if you want. There's like this alien. <laughs> Can I skip ahead? No, Jake, you asked. You've got to be No, I'm, I'm truly interested. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, no, I really care. Um, uh, there's a secret alien, not secret, there's an alien race called the Skrulls. They can shapeshift to be anybody. Yes. And like Secret Invasion. Like that blue woman that Jennifer Lawrence was. Yes, exactly the same sort of thing. Thank you. So like Secret Invasion was this comic series where it was revealed that a bunch of the superheroes were actually secretly Skrulls. Oh, wow. Like a bunch of political leaders were secretly Skrulls who had been like characters for a long time. Uh-huh. And it changed everything. It was this huge crossover. Around. Because do these Skrull people have a particular like agenda? They like want to take Earth. I think in the comics it was like more religious war based stuff. Like they want to take Earth because a prophecy told them they need to. That they need to take Earth. Yeah. To like, add to their like they have Marvel like a prophecy collection. that says like you, the Skrulls will inherit the blue planet or something. And they just that's like what Jesus just... said about the meek. There, well, there you go. Mm. There you go, Jake. There, my devout Catholicism have helped me understand the Marvel world. Devout. Devout. Um, Praise Jesus. However, in the TV show, it's more like they need a home and. And so they just decide because their planet gets like invaded, so they they infiltrate Earth, and then like but the, the TV scrolls. show is just so underwhelming in that it just sort of ends up being okay. I guess there's scrolls, and no one really cares. And oh, and there were no consequences. There were some consequences, but also finding out the... that like the redheaded Gwyneth Paltrow character was actually an alien in disguise did nothing. 
Is that did that happen? Which one was that? I've only seen like two and a half Marvel films. No, she's not. Gwyneth uh, Paltrow is not. A, but she a no isn't. But she is Robert Downey Jr.'s assistant yes. for a while. Okay, is she still in the Marvel? Oh, movies? you mean um, uh, is her name like Pippi Poppy? <laughs> <laughs> is her name Pippi Poppy? Her name's Pepper. Pepper. Popper. Piper. Oh, pa- P- Penny. Patricia. Money. Money Penny. No, that's James Bond. Porpus Money Penny. Played Porky by Gwyneth Paltrow. Porky, Porky Pig. <laughs> Peter Pan. Do you want to Google it? I, I think I Just need because to I do worry this. about the person that's listening to this being like, you dumb fuckers, her name okay, is not Porky Longstockings. Um, it should be. Um, Gwyneth I'm just going to softly talk about Paltrow how, Marvel. I don't know, I, I sometimes think about the fact that Courtney Kardashian. Pepper Potts! <laughs> it was Pepper. That's dangerously oh. close to Pepper Pig. But sure. So uh-huh. I might be off the Marvel train for a bit, Jake. Okay, well, th- that will now, devastate why them. Why were we talking about Marvel? We're talking about that because you did drugs while watching I a Timothy Chalamet movie. And then before that, you were going to talk about having seen Oppenheimer before seeing Barbie. Yeah, let's skip all of this. So I saw Oppenheimer yes. at the IMAX. Uh-huh. I fucking loved it. You loved it. I loved it. Because it answered a lot of questions you had about Inception. That's not what this movie is. No. no. Are all Christopher Nolan's movies friends with each other? They're friends with each other, but they're not related. Oh, great. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, <laughs> I love this movie. Long movie. Just a bunch of good acting. Okay. Just a bunch of good acting. Mm-hmm. I mean, Florence Pugh. Mm. Florence Pugh's in there. Yeah. Um, also, it's one of those movies where, like, every ten minutes we're introduced to another random, like, sort of well-known actor playing a random scientist. And they all shake hands like, oh, we are meant to know who this is. And then he's never seen again oh. until, like, the very end of the film. Um, I love those sorts of movies where it's just, like, a non-end, non-stop barrage of, like, just reveals of random people who we don't know. Is it when you say we don't know? Is it you not knowing because you don't know many historical figures relevant to this time? Probably that one. I assume they're real historical. Like, there's a bunch of characters I did know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oppenheimer, Albert Einstein was in there. I'm familiar with him. He's there. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Good yeah. Film. Plus yeah. I no. And I'm certainly not trying to make you feel bad. No, I know very, very little about the whole thing. Like mm. I wasn't sure of who Oppenheimer was, and now I'm intimately aware. There you go. Have you mm. seen it? No. No. But you saw <laughs> not Barbie. That intimately. I did see Barbie. You also saw Barbie. I also saw Barbie. You start telling me about your experience of Barbie. Uh, the physical experience of going to Barbie, in, like who I was with and where I was sitting. Ah, uh, yeah, sure. I don't care. <laughs> no, we went to the movies. <laughs> right. Cool. In Brighton, because we had to leave. The, there was eight of us, since we had to find a place where we could all sit who next to each other. Who was this party of eight? Do I know them? I have pals. I have pals, and those pals have partners and we all went together like one brought his sister or? they're just my friends <laughs> I want to know who these people are you don't have friends I have many of them mm. Alana was there Zakaya was there Jules Jones was there Nimue was there Haleo was there I literally know none of these people <laughs> I went to the Barbie movie largely excited because <laughs> because I like Greta Gerwig you do like Greta Gerwig. I've always said this about you. Yes, yes. I did not really care about the subject matter going in. I was more just excited to see something that Greta Gerwig did. And then came out of the film, like, super disappointed. Just mm. because, yeah, it just wasn't like... And <laughs> it's the sort of thing where it's like... And I'm sure whoever you are, sweet, sweet listener, you've heard enough people expound their opinions about the Barbie movie up until this point. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, since then, have spent a lot of time talking, especially to women, about their experience watching the Barbie movie and how it rubs against their feelings about feminism and all the things that the film itself is about and deals with and uh, I don't know a, a combination of my own opinions and those that have been formed by the subsequent conversations is a lot of like just like bullet point wise 
in terms of a film, it's flimsily constructed, mm. and that was unsatisfying as a person that was going into it wanting to see this filmmaker being Greta Gerwig, her, like, you know, her capacity is on full display. Yeah. And I really like her appreciation for storytelling and her use of language and other things that she's spoken about. I spent a lot of time just watching her talk about her craft, and for that reason it was disappointing to see such a clumsily put-together movie from her. Sure. So that was a thing that I left disappointed by. I thought some of the messaging was, like, sure, some of it is very, like, simplistically a positive thing like I came at one of the largest things I was feeling was like oh it'd be great for like you know maybe like an 11 year old girl to see Mm. it and and be motivated to be like a a more courageous person or whatever for her to feel empowered by the content of the film that's good I felt like a lot of the messages too felt and a lot of people have said this like it felt very dated like it felt like it could have been a a bit 10 years ago yeah like it it was like yeah it would have been like a fun progressive film in terms of like the messages it wanted to say about specific things if it had come out in like 2011 or Mm. something it could have hit that a bit harder but then too it's like even just like the the, the, the places that the story took us were just like you even saw like opportunities for them to explore interesting things and they bypassed them to instead show us this like almost like consequenceless in some ways film about like and I guess I say consequenceless in the way of like one of the largest of the villains in the film is Will Ferrell and I just I always just lately really resent his presence in comedies <laughs> and, but even like there were no consequences to the idea of like if he as the head of Mattel for whom it seems like one long commercial if he is to catch this rogue Margot Robbie Barbie the, the consequences of that are kind of unclear. Oh, yeah, what were the consequences of that? Truly they were no going idea. to put her in a box. It seemed like, unless that box that they were trying to coerce her into getting into was actually going to, like, murder her, their plan was, as far as we could tell, was to take her back to Barbie Land. Then she takes herself back to Barbie Land and they follow her there. I don't know what the point of them doing so was, if that oh, was their yeah, goal. Oh, yeah, that is weird. Uh, yeah, the whole, like, connection between Barbie... People playing with Barbies and the Barbies themselves in Barbie Land, that link is tenuous and unexplored. The idea of, like, these Barbies and Kens wanting to spend the night with each other but not, like, having sex in their world, that's an intriguing relationship that also didn't get to be unpacked. Concepts got introduced that I was really interested in and none of them got utilised because we had to spend all of our time with admittedly flawless America Ferreira going on this, like, adventure with her daughter. And it's like, that was, I think, to me, it was like, I don't know why we had to leave Barbie Land at all. I feel like once they did, everything got thoroughly less interesting. And, and sorry, and to, to cut my monologue off, I just want to say that, like, the final moments of her having to choose... And sorry this is spoiling anything. Please skip ahead if you don't want things spoiled. But the ending, like, ending of the movie, almost seemingly implicitly purporting that the film itself was an exploration, analysis of, and arguable celebration of the experience of being a human. Felt like a very cop-out, hyper-emotional, like, saccharine ending to a piece that was not in any way proposing any type of hypothesis about the value of being human. It's like for Rhea Perlman to be like, do you want to be a person? It's pretty hard. It's like, none of this movie was about this. You insisting that in the dying moments of the Mm. film that it was is cheap and lame. Like, if you couldn't think of an ending... You've written the movie badly, but you can't just be like, let's get them to stand in this like feminist vacuum space while a beautiful old woman from Matilda tells you that, you know, being a woman is difficult. Who is she in Matilda? The mother. She chose looks. She chose looks? Miss Honey chose books. Oh my God. I knew I knew her face. Yes. These are all really good points. I loved it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I loved it. I just thought it was a fun fever dream. (laughs) I just had a great time. For me, I can explain all the inconsistencies, although now you've pointed them out. (laughs) (laughs) There's a few in there. Um, I, I like explaining it away by just don't worry about it. Sure, that's, that's great. That's kid logic when it comes to playing games with Barbies. It's like they just get places somehow, and they end up somewhere, and then the the conflict happens, which which sort of just came out of nowhere. I think that's kind of funny, and sure. that's why Ken and Barbie want to be together because the kids know that that's what they're meant to do, but they don't know what they're meant to do when they're alone. 
Like, I think that's kind of the, the thing that I found sort of cutesy and fun. Sure. I suppose I just have no interest or whimsy relating to the idea of children playing with Bibers and Kens. Sure. I feel like, yeah, if you're going to try to push me into the direction of, like, treating this like the Lego movie, I'm just oh, not great going movie. to... Great movie. Sure. I love that movie. Sure. Also, in my mind, intruded upon by Will Ferrell unwelcomely. In the same <laughs> role. The exact same role. Mm. A big CEO man in a suit. Um, also, I um, just yeah, I super agree that I think it's great that kids are going to see the Barbie movie. I think especially young boys yeah. see Barbie because even just simple things like, aside from all the important lessons that are true in Barbie, I think like even just seeing the Kens dance so flamboyantly and seeing the Kens kiss each other on the cheek and not being a big deal, I think is going to like just a good thing for kids to see. Sure, I think that's quite nice. Sure, yeah, yeah. I guess yeah, maybe it's important to look at it. Since it is Barbie, it is maybe also a movie for kids. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's the thing. It can absolutely exist. This is just the reason that it didn't like didn't resonate with me and kind totally. of made me frustrated. The, the good thing is though, I can just rewatch Gerwig's Little Women. That's just I on my shelf. Still haven't. Seen you it. haven't seen it. No. Okay. Interesting. Um, anything else you need to talk about, Jack? Anything else um, happened to you? Oh, oh, I'll briefly say that I went and saw Noah Cyrus live, which was wonderful. Oh, you love Noah Cyrus. I do. I love Noah Cyrus a lot. It was good. It was one of those confronting experiences where you're forced to be amongst the people with whom you construct a fan base. Ooh, one of those things. No, what's Noah Cyrus's fan base? Like? I was curious. I'm as imagining. Well. I want to put my pitch in. Go ahead. Um, what is the the crowd at a Noah Cyrus concert? We're I'm at 170 like... Russell, so that's the size. That's the size of the cross section that you get to construct. Okay. Who's there? Jake's there. Who else is there? Is it an under, all ages allowed? Or is uh, it... no, over 18. Okay. Well, that puts out <laughs> You're thinking of, of the Wiggles. Guesses. Your first um, guess was people. What really I young like teenage girls who get a lot of tattoos very early? Okay, sure. What, what's the audience? Sure. No, you're not off base. Yeah, I feel like I was literally maybe like in a room that felt like it was holding about 400 people. I'd say maybe like an eighth of them at most were men. Yep. And I'd say I thought that there was going to be a gay following, like a gay presence there. Oh, true. I think maybe I saw two gay men there. And I only think they were gay because they were like similarly dressed, standing close together and looked mad at me. Which is gay code for we are gay. <laughs> that is true. We do love to yeah. do that. But beyond that, all the men there seemed like they were brought there by their girlfriends. Mm. Um, that, that's, of course, me assuming things. But yeah, yeah, that was just odd right. <laughs> in that way. But was it a good experience for Noah? Uh, for Noah. For you. Oh, like, for me? For you to experience Noah? Yeah. Oh my God, super grateful for it. It was a really, really wonderful, nourishing Lovely. time. Yes. Oh. Yes. Yes. Oh. Yeah. All the, all the classic anxiety about going to concerts. Yes. It's not a place where I feel like safe or happy or welcome or calm. No. <laughs> but no. yeah, but, but no, Jake, really, really grateful do, to be. When do you? When do I feel any of those things? Mm. Seldom. <laughs> at the theatre. Maybe at the theatre. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that's that. But yeah, really amazing to get to be in the same room as her. It was really cool. How would I rate my week? I would probably give it... Do you have a number immediately? Immediately? Um, oh, God. You're unprepared? I guess I will, I'll give it uh, 16 stars, because I feel like that's how many like headline celebrities were in the Barbie movie, one of them being Michael Sarah, whose presence in it I think is indefensible. I, I loved don't know. Alan. No, Alan is an important presence. He was I understand, real like, conceptually, I understand why he's a character. I understand he has a history to him in terms of being a doll. I don't know why he was in a movie. <laughs> because I think it's funny. You think it's funny? Yeah. That's why Midge was funny in it. I think I'm at this point with capitalism, not to talk about capitalism or society, two things that are so boring to talk about. Jesus. But like, to get to the... It's like, I watch movies like this and I'm like, all this money. Mm. It's like, you could have just not cast Michael Sarah and given his wage to like, like a lesser known actor. Or you, you could have given it to charity or something. I don't, I just don't think it's worth it. <laughs> I will disagree with you on that because Michael Sarah, I loved him. That's terrific. I, I, lo just... I, lo I loved him. I love Alan. I would have loved to see a cheap arts house Barbie movie. Yeah, but I feel like you often want that with everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, so 16. Also, Dua Lipa was surprisingly bad at acting. And also had the worst wig I've ever seen. I can't judge wigs. I'm blind to, like, wigs. Like... I can't tell if people are drunk. I can't tell if people are high. These are things I cannot see. You need to 
I've been stoned, drunk, and wearing a bad wig this whole time, and you haven't mentioned anything. <laughs> I can't tell. Um, I, I, I like John John Cena's little cameo. What did you like about it? The fact that he was there. He was there. Why is this where money is going? We're in like a like a housing crisis. No one has any money, but we're giving John Cena so much John money Cena. to be a merman. Yeah. Who is clapping for that? Barbie's magical world is like the epitome of the capitalist like dream Ugh, yes right? it's all about consuming things it's yes. literally about consuming and, stuff and creating the nuclear family <laughs> like that's what Barbie is and Rhea Perlman also thought she'd just be an idea she never thought she'd become this wistfully looks at Margot Robbie's what face what was I made for so many people came out of that movie feeling worse about the way they look do you not think that's important Miss Eilish Good God. How many stars do you give your week? Oh, fuck it. I give my <laughs> week... Um, <laughs> it's uh, relatively arbitrary, so you're <laughs> taking a yeah, long I'm time. Trying, 30. 30 stars. Mm-hmm. I give it 30 stars, and I'm not telling you why. Just a mysterious 30. No, 30 because that is what Flynn said the temperature in Broome was consistently the whole time he was there, and I missed him. So that, I wanted a number that reminded me of him. Okay. 30. This man you barely know. Right. In a place named after a cleaning utensil. Sweep, sweep. <laughs> Do you want to talk about some theatre? Oh, all right. <laughs> Boom. Oh. Oh, what was that, Jake? Oh, the giant from Into the Woods? No. No. <laughs> oh, good guess, though, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad one. Oh, look out the window. It was a, an atomic blast. Oh. Kaboom. Oh no, and now we're in nuclear war. Oh god. I'm setting the scene for uh, talking about Blue to the Horizon. Oh, that wasn't you giving me the news of nuclear war. <laughs> hey Jake, <laughs> guess what? You promised that's how you'll tell me though. Oh my god, that is absolutely how I would tell you. Uh, <laughs> oh god, Ooh, what's, what's that? Oh no, Jake. Yes. Zombies. Oh no. That's how I'd tell you about the zombie apocalypse. Thank you, that's how I like to we hear it. We better things. run. <laughs> Come on. Quick, the zombies. We don't need to run that fast, just faster than someone else. Come on. Um, okay, so I went to the Bluestone Arts, uh, the church art space. The Bluestone Church, Bluestone arts, church space. arts space. Yeah, bit of a word salad there, well, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to see Blue to the Horizon by Sevenfold Theatre Company. See what? <laughs> Blue to the Horizon yes. by Sevenfold Theatre Company. What did you think when you first heard that title? Um, I did not know what to think. Blue to the Horizon, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, look, I'll be honest, I... I I knew yeah. about this show already because oh, okay. I had sort of been looking online and saw it pop up on um, Star Now, so I had sort of looked at the audition material. Oh, cool. Uh, didn't audition. Brave. Just, just <laughs> to put it out there so I don't have to say, I didn't get the part. And that's why um, you're going to tear it apart because yeah, you're like, bitter. This fucking, no, no, no. If that were me. How oh. dare they? <laughs> would have been blue to the horizon, it would have been. Um, no. <laughs> what would it have been? We're trying to think of a better version of blue or a better version of horizon. <laughs> Both! <laughs> It was red to the middle distance. Um, so, uh, written by Sarah Wynan, both the book and the script. Fantastic. Um, it is a new Australian musical, mm-hmm. which is always exciting. Because mm-hmm. uh, I love a new Australian musical. You do? Ladies in Black. Ladies Jake. in Black. Oh, it's not coming back because it never went away. It never went, went away. away. Oh, it's an obvious fact. <laughs> oh my God. We get dressed out the back. <laughs> I just kissed a continental, continental boy. Accents rough. His lips are gentle. Perfect oh musical. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. Um, so this was not a high school production of Ladies in Black, but it was still good. <laughs> so, um, wanted on in. Move, Move I'm I'm uh, So I wandered on in. Yes. Uh, with, I was seeing it with my housemate Imogen. Mm-hmm. Opening night, Jake. Yes. We've both been to the Bluestone Church a bunch of times. Yes. 
<laughs> you boasty bitch. You yeah. Well, can I say this? The way they dressed the church up for opening night—a yeah. big dress. It was. It was beautiful. Yes. It was so beautiful. Oh, like, on the inside or the outside? On the inside. The outside was untouched. It was just the church. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> they really dropped. They the ball really did nothing to the outside. Put an A-frame up and called it a day. Um, so we, we went in. Yes. Move. I went. Uh, we went in, and there were like. Fairy lights strung across. So when you walk into the space, mm. there's two. I don't really know how to describe this. There's two sort of like they're rooms, but they don't have. How would you describe? They're these little oval shaped like rooms. Yes, they stand either side. They flank you as you enter the church. Mm. It's like if you were getting married, but both of you, you and the groom's families, are just big, tall wooden ovals. <laughs> That's very helpful, Jake. So, so one of them was a bar, one of them was the toilet, but between the two of them, they'd strung up these beautiful fairy lights across. Hmm. They had, like, all this beautiful blue lighting. Everything felt sort of serene and nice. There was a smell of mulled wine from the bar. Oh. It was hustling and bustling. There was a line to get... It was just so nice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, very conventional stage seating, so just, like, seating banks. We sit on down the banks with our mulled wine. Uh-huh. I got some mulled wine. Fantastic. Um, and I didn't realise, but Daniel Kim is involved in this show. Okay. Now, Daniel Kim, who's one of the co-directors of the show, yeah. along with Tess Walsh, um, he also did the music direction and went to school with me. Oh, Full disclosure. Yeah, went to high school. Oh, God. Uh, I think the year above me, but always an angel of a person. Always really involved with, like, um, acapella and singing and theatre. Were and- you in the acapella group too? No, I was in the Nova Voce. We did, um, it was like this choir of bassy voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did like, I was in like the... You were all bassy. Most of us were bassy, yeah. It was like oh. a boys choir. Oh. Um, uh, and so to see, turn around and see Daniel at the back with the little keyboard and the pianist next to him. Uh, pianist getting it out of the way, Christy Ty. Amazing. <laughs> Good, let's, let's get that out of the way. <laughs> no, no, because I'm going to mention the... Pe- like, no, it's just a funny sentence. Yeah, it was. it's obviously a musical, but it's one of those shows where... I'm going to jump around a whole bunch. One of those shows where, as with um, Last Time, which is a show I saw recently, and Trophy Boys, which is a show I saw a while ago, I saw two versions. It's a show I hope I get to see a second time because I feel like it is, it's at the start of its journey. Okay. Fresh work, first time it's been done. Cool. Um, so uh, the music was all just um, keyboard, mm-hmm. um, which... Like that was the only instrument there. Yeah, cool. Yeah, which is something I'm excited to see progress more as the show goes into new new stages. And sure, because that's like an early Delta Goodrum concert. Exactly, and sure. also it, with with a bunch of voices over the piano, it, it, it can sometimes be a bit hard to hear both parts. You know, oh, I, cool. sure, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but so. Christy, amazing, played the whole time. I always find any time there's just like a one person playing the piano for the whole show. My aunt does that and I think it's very impressive. I, mm-hmm. I just think that's cool. Yeah. Because I'd love to be able to play the piano. Yeah. Now, do you know anything about what Blue to the Horizon is about? Apart from maybe the spoiler I gave you at the start. Uh, no, wait, no. Wait. Nuclear war, baby! Oh, <laughs> Blue to the Horizon. Blue to the Horizon is about a group of strangers mm. escaping a nuclear war yep. on a little dinghy boat. Ooh. Uh, so they're in Melbourne. I believe they're in Melbourne. I couldn't they tell. in a boat? Well, they start off in Melbourne or Sydney. I can't remember which one. It wasn't super clear. But they're in an Australian city. It's a bunch of strangers that come together. There's, um... So we've got in order. <laughs> There's no order. There's just people. No, it's like the Von Trapp kids. Do it in order. In order of what I've written down. <laughs> Liesl first. <laughs> There's um, Sophie, played by Nicole Ramish. Chris, played by Lucy May Knight. 
Anne by Zoe Harlan, Beau by Matthew Dwyer, Bronson by Jackson Cross, and Ray by Stephanie Beetzer. And these are all six characters that Can we... you say Beau by Jackson Cross again? Uh, Bronson by Jackson Cross. Bronson by Jackson Cross. That's just like a cool sentence. And, and a cool person. That's a good... I'll get to Jackson in a moment. Exciting. Just you hold on. All right. So the show... What the show proceeds to be mm-hmm. is um, watching these strangers sort of grapple with the fact that everyone's gone, the fact that they're the only ones left, as far as they know, on this boat. Oh, but they do think everyone else is dead. Well, there's been a nuclear war and they've left the country. So sure. as far as they're concerned, everyone's gone. Okay. Uh, and their their goal is to get across to New Zealand because, they, as they discussed, there's a lower population density, less of a chance of it being struck by a nuke. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's their goal. So they're getting in a boat and they zip across to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. But the whole show is then set on the boat. Oh, so oh. the whole show is on this boat with these six strangers, which, first of all, I just think is, is a great... I love that sort of premise. I love any time you lock a bunch of strangers in a room. It's a bottle episode. It's right. a bottle episode of a show. Mm-hmm. And I always... I think they can be very... It's sore. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah, yeah, sure, Jack, it is sore. Yeah, yeah, it's sore, but if it was, like, a post-apocalyptic Australian piece of theatre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <laughs> We have to put things in concepts of sore so Jake understands. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll just speak a bit about the characters and what I liked about the, the people performing. Great idea. Thanks. <laughs> um, so off the bat, we'll go back, come back to Jackson then. So Jackson plays Bronson, who is brothers with, who's a brother of uh, Sophie, who's played by Nicole. This mm. is going to get a bit confusing. Great. So Jackson is this, got this, he's this young performer. He's got this very boyish energy with the character, play, and and this gorgeous mop of hair that just I just find so charming um, and he plays this sort of young boy that they all sort of come to uh, support and respect but he has this one beautiful moment where they're sort of uh, mulling over the fact that everyone's gone and he's sitting there on this little chair in front of us all away from the rest of the group and he has this little monologue about how he know his parents were in Sydney and he knows they're gone he just can't believe that they're gone and he has this ongoing little bit about just his parents being gone in a nuclear blast and it feels like the sort of thing that you shouldn't be able to talk about seriously on stage. And then he's just, he made me feel very emotional. And and I just wanted a quick shout out to Jackson. Shout out! Because <laughs> that's the noise I make when I give a shout out. Now. Oh, did you just start doing <laughs> that? I started doing that now. <laughs> if you can go back and edit that into all the past episodes, that would be great. Yeah, um, yeah I'll do that. Thanks. <laughs> um... Yeah, really, really pulled some tears from his eyes for the performance, which I don't know how anyone does. How do you cry on stage, Jake? It, there's a number of ways that you do it. Some right, people, well, no, you know, some people have like that level of like almost like a muscle memory where they're capable of just sort of like extracting that experience from themselves. Yeah. Some people draw upon real emotions. It also depends on like how you're doing it. Like if you're doing it in the midst of like a monologue or something mm. or a conversation, like the scene can just take you there. Like it depends on what you're doing. Well, it felt to me like it took him there and he was suddenly sad and weeping in front of me and I felt very emotional. So thanks, Jackson, for that, you bastard. Um, <laughs> he might have put just deep heat on the tops of his cheeks. Could have. That's what people do. Jackson, I- Jackson, if you if you put deep heat on the tops of your eyelids, right oh, here, eyelids that would hurt a lot. You said eyelids, just under the like on the top of the cheeks. You realize that people can't see where you're pointing, but they can hear my words. Another character of that I. Cheeks. Another character. <laughs> where do you think cheeks stop? This is a real question to you. Uh, probably where the eye bags start. <laughs> Why do you have eye bags all the time? Because I work hard, Jake. <laughs> so the boat is run by Bo. Who is the captain played by Matthew Dwyer? That's easy to because the start of boat is Bo. That will help me remember. Makes sense. <laughs> yes, it helps. So Bo is this grizzled, like 
old like a sea captain character that mm. wants to get away on this boat and doesn't want anyone else in the boat love it has a heart of gold and does let him on eventually <laughs> and I just think that's a terrific character like, oh, I don't want you on this boat alright <laughs> alright get on this boat I think that's great that's nice yeah so they all so these brother and sister get on the boat now <laughs> what's about to happen here's something now that I mentioned those two characters I will get out to talk about right now that Imogen and I were both confronted by something I think the show needs to address something I think needs to be maybe altered a bit that's exciting (laughs) so Bo is a character who is meant to be old right how old's old well I think I think um, Matthew would be like in his mid mid 30s okay but the character I remember because I remember reading the um, audition material Bo is meant to be like an old older man Mm -hmm. Uh, and like uh, a 50s or 60s like, yeah, I think if they could get a 50 or 60 year old actor, they would have cast a 50 or 60 year old actor. <laughs> That's a fun assumption to make. <laughs> well, I just remember him being quite old. Yeah, yeah. Sophie, yes. who is the sister of Bronson, remember yes. how Bronson's like a child? He's got a mop of hair. He's got a mop of hair like a young boy. Yes. And Sophie acts the same. She seems very young. She okay. talks about school a lot. Uh huh. She talks. Explicitly about... high school? Well, she talks about wanting to leave and be a doctor. So the graduating high school and being a doctor. She is one says of, high school. She's not graduating from university. This is the thing. I, I it wasn't super clear. She was just talking about school. Okay, but maybe, it felt maybe like she I was, missed some lines. Oh sure, but she, it felt like she was in high school. It was definitely felt like she was a high school student. Okay, where is this going, James? I'm curious. <laughs> so Sophie and Bo develop. I won't spoil too much about how it ends, uh-huh. but they develop a romantic relationship. Oh. <laughs> uh, and Bo, I remember, sings a line about how she's so much younger. And how he should feel bad about it, but he doesn't. Does he sing this to, like? Is it like to a, himself? It's an aside. Oh, but it's not like a villainous like beat. No, heads. no, no, no. Like, <laughs> it's not villainous, and none of it is presented in a villainous way. It is presented in a very the, the song itself. It isn't like a. I'm gonna get that child. No, no, no. I shouldn't want you, but I do. It's it's more on the side of, and this is where I get my concern. Is I still am not sure how old she was. Okay. Whether it was meant to be coming across. The creep, she, the, and she returns the feelings? Yeah. They fall in love. They fall in love. And, th- and they is, like kiss and stuff? <laughs> this one bit, well, it was hard to follow the plot to the point... I did a Jake where I didn't quite understand what was going <laughs> you on. You can't just say You've that. You've done it like three times <laughs> yeah, no, but you can't just say that. So instead of explaining... I did a Jake. That actually happened? You got confused? <laughs> I got confused enough okay. that I wasn't sure what the people's relationships were in the boat for a good amount of the show. Oh, cool. Like, Everyone or just these two? A few of them at different times. Okay, and cool. these two, particularly at this point... It was very hard, and Imogen and I were sort of cl- clutching each other's legs to the point where it was like about this potentially pedophilic yes, relationship. Yes, exactly. To the point where, oh. like, are they are they celebrating this? Is this something we need? Oh. It was presented in a way where it was morally grey enough that it was sort of like, like I don't know, like it wasn't judgmental, which made me think, oh, she's obviously meant to be like nineteen or tw- or twenty or something, yeah. and and. But um, Nicole Ramish played Sophie as a very young character. Yeah. Like, there is a song at some point, like, dip, dip, dip in the water. Oh. And she has this one moment where she starts the song that was so childlike and wonderful that it made me feel such joy. And I was like, you're just an innocent child. And, but then she got seduced and by an old man. And then she got seduced by a 30-year-old man. <laughs> yeah. And I had to then be like, maybe you're just a very positive 19-year-old. So, <laughs> you're just an adult that likes to swim. <laughs> So that did. That's fascinating. And it was such an uh, such an such a large presence in the show for me that it made it quite hard to focus on anything else. Sure. So I, as I said, this show it's just started. I, it's going to grow. It's going to change. And hopefully that's something they can address and like clarify. Sure. Or maybe it's something they want to keep ambiguous 
so they can maybe like hang a lantern on it or something. To, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so that's fascinating. I'm curious to see how that relationship develops. There's also like boat life during wartime. Well, like, is it like Flowers in the Attic where it's like they shut up all of these children, like these siblings up in the attic, and then the two older siblings start falling in love with each other just because oh. they're stuck in an attic together and going through trauma? Well, I mean, the relationship definitely spiraled out because they were in a boat. Like, that'll do it. it. <laughs> boat madness. They got the boat madness they did. Let's talk about some of these other characters before. Um, first of all, Sophie playing Nicole. Has the, so this is a musical for, for the record. Um, incredible voice, mm-hmm. just the most a, a very strong timbre, like this oh, yeah. really beautiful, rich feeling voice that just sort of erupts from her every time she sings. Oh my god! Like like really really something. Mm-hmm. So I I really want to see Sophie in more music. Yeah. Um. But oh, too, also too Matthew Dwyer as Bo, a perfect choice for like an like a like a grounded sea captain. First of all, he's very striking. He's got this striking beard, this striking like posture and masculinity about him that I really, really enjoyed. And he sort of, when he sang the, these sort of like notes of the the fragility in there that was quite nice, like sort of, I, I love this woman, but I don't think I should. Mm. So shout out to Matthew. Just a confusing, <laughs> confusing moment for me. You forgot to do your catchphrase, that noise you make when you give shout outs. Shut up! <laughs> it's it's changed a bit, and they need to be reminded to do it. But still, the noise I make. Um, otherwise, we had um, married wives Ray and uh, Anne. Sorry, they're married to each other. They're married to each other. Yep, played by Stephanie and Zoe, respectively. Mm. Um, every time they sang together was some of the, my most enjoyed like musical moments. Yeah, they had the most beautiful harmonies together. That just their voices complemented each other really nicely. Stephanie, who I actually met at the Motley Bauhaus when I was seeing a show with Georgie Potter. Uh-huh. Is always doing stuff. I know she's always doing stuff. She's always got a thousand projects in the pipeline, so I was not surprised that I would eventually just see her in a show accidentally. Okay. So, Stephanie, well done. Um, <laughs> and she's got this really beautiful, sort of rich, almost husky voice. Great. To complement Zoe's really more, like, lyrical voice, I think the two of them go together quite nicely. Mm-hmm. They had this uh, beautiful storyline on the boat. So, the set is a bunch of crates. Okay. It's... Like milk crates? Milk crates, exactly. Okay. A bunch of milk crates and a few other little, like, boards and stuff. Um, <laughs> and the show is often scenes of people just huddled around crates, Great. talking, and then they move the crate. You mean crate? I don't mean crate, I mean great. <laughs> so so th- these, two had, these two characters had lost a child. And so that's why during the course of the show, they're often... Sorry, a child in the war, in the sea. In bef- <laughs> sorry, that was not clear at all. Before the war, they had lost a child. Again. <laughs> the child died. Yes, okay. Great. And they were the parents of the child. <laughs> the child's well well handled, James. <laughs> so that's why they become quite um, protective of the two young... Again, is protective he... of the two younger yeah. children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boat, which is another thing that makes me think Sophie is a child. If she needs to be protected by grieving parents. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So that was a heartbreaking um, dynamic. That all watch. sounds so sad. There's so many it's sad It's really things. sad. Mm. And then... And then we have... <laughs> Lucy May Knight Yes Playing Chris Okay Who was a reject from the army mm-hmm. And is the comic relief Arguably <laughs> Arguably No no no, 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 no <laughs> Because they all have funny bits But I mean okay. like Arguably you would say That this character was the comic relief This is the Gilligan From Gilligan's Island Yes <laughs> Oh was Gilligan the comedy relief I think well he was like the what sounds like you know what? Okay. and they were um, they also were on a boat trip. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Lucy Man Knight plays this absolutely insane person who <laughs> No 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 Yeah, I yeah, believe yeah. you. Who has been rejected from the army for being an insane person. 
And so every moment in the show, you'll have this like dramatic. And I, I don't want to don't want to get it twisted. I love Lucy in this role, and right. I love this role. I think it's a really great role. It's like all of them just being sad around like a little campfire on a boat in the after an apocalypse, and then this character's just like, oh, but also this fucked up thing. And just this wonderful addition. Great. Um, and then spirals out the confrontation towards the end of the show, as there so often is. Mm-hmm. Um, they're on this boat for like. I, be- I understand it to be, like, somewhere around about, like, 80 days. Okay. Like, they're on the boat for ages. But it was quite hard to tell when the, the time jumps were happening. Okay. So but they definitely were time jumps. There definitely were time jumps. Because that relationship, I believe, happens over the course of a, several weeks. Oh, sorry, which one? The, the potentially the... pedophilic one. Right. Yep. So that's another little... Did no one have a beard that got longer as time passed? Well, Matthew had a beard, but it stayed the same length the whole time. Ah, confusing. Uh, fucking Matthew, come on. <laughs> um, but I... It, it, so that's another thing that I, I think... Maybe just needs to be given some more obvious signage sure. of, yeah, of yeah. like time passing because I think that could have helped me sort of understand more how this relationship developed because it did sort of feel like it came out of nowhere. Oh, so you really did have your eye on this controversial relationship for a long time. Jake, this contra- like, as soon as this re- relationship came into the scene, it was just sort of like the whole time Imogen and I were trying to be like, what, what is this? How old are you? Is this okay? Somebody talk about Somebody... that pedophile. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. it, 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 it did feel like that. So there's just little bits and pieces that I didn't quite understand, but that's my brain. That's maybe sure. just my brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, um, something about the show that I really enjoyed, uh, the way it started in, in particular, um, it, w- when they're all getting on this boat with Bo. God, that is easy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he is sort of like initially rejecting them and watching them all sort of try and haggle their way onto this boat. Like, please, we're kids. Again, we're kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, or please, we, we need to get on this boat. I've got cans of food. And the uh, sort of tension of this nuclear war rising in the background, mm-hmm. knowing that you need to get out of there because of bombs and radiation and looting and... And is this all a song? Is this like a... Like a no. Let us on the boat. No. Let me on the boat. No, no. it's not. This bit okay. is... is uh, uh, I remember it being like dialogue to music, but I could be wrong. Okay. How's that for a memory? <laughs> so it starts as dialogue, and then once they're on the boat, it turns into a shanty. It turns into Blue to the Horizon, which I must admit is a the song titular classic. that has been stuck in my head for a fortnight. Oh, cool. So good on you for writing some, Sarah, for writing some songs that are really, like, wormed their way into my... That and dip, dip, dip in the water, I'm, I'm really into now. <laughs> so if it's a cast recording, send it my way. Um, but yeah, no, I'm... I guess my one question, Jake, is what the fuck would you do if there was a nuclear apocalypse? Because I was thinking about this and I don't think my first reaction would be run to the boats. <laughs> um, sure. Well, yes, no, my answer wouldn't be stay and become a Chernobyl creature. I suppose, yeah, I... I... Whatever makes you lose weight. You can be skinny! James! <laughs> like a, oh, like a Chernobyl creature! Oh my God. Like you Chernobyl, saw like the Barbie movie creature. and that is a thing that you're saying I saw right. the Barbie movie and I think Ken had the right idea. It's amazing that you saw Oppenheimer and Can the Barbie movie. Feel the <laughs> and it seems like you took the worst things from both movies. <laughs> White <laughs> men talking about science. No, the idea of like, you've melted the messages of both films and you've been like, if there were a big bomb, maybe I'd get skinny and hot. <laughs> oh my god, I have. What would you do if a nuclear bomb went off? I'd probably cry a little bit. You'd cry a little bit. I'd be I'd, I'd, if if like it was getting pretty grim, Jake, I'd probably off myself. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, I'm not gonna live through a post-apocalyptic nuclear holocaust world. Okay. Absolutely not. That's no world for me, Jake. I honestly think that's one of the few like not one of the few situations where I wouldn't turn to suicide. If that'd be one of the times <laughs> where it's that'd be one of those times where it's like, look, everything's kind of fucked already. I'm just gonna see how far I can go. <laughs> sure, okay, maybe you take it from that point of view. You know, the, like the, the, a lot of like so many stakes no longer exist. 
Um, a Jake lot with more stakes doing this. But a Jake with no stakes. <laughs> oh. hey. Hey. Uh, no, that's good. He ain't making Put no mistakes. Put that on yeah. a shirt. <laughs> yeah, um, no. It's like, let's just go out guns blazing on stilts, which is also a saying. <laughs> it's not a saying. I just like talking about stilts. But I, yeah, that's my answer okay. to your hypothetical. So I'd kill myself and you'd kill people. No, I would, no I'm not saying I would kill people. I'm mm. just saying like, no, I try really hard to survive and I try to help other people survive as hard oh. as I could. Would you help me? You... I barely okay. know you. Right. Um, yeah, no, so this is another show that I am very grateful and glad to have seen the, the first... Like, I was, we went to opening night. Cool. Like, so it was very, very exciting to see the first iteration of this show. Mm. And I, this is a conversation we've had, sort of, on this show. Sci-fi and, like, modern futuristic stuff on stage is not something that's done a whole bunch, surprisingly. Okay. I, fe- I feel, personally, it's harder to do as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Blue to the Horizon... Excited to see a green to my, the sun. Is that you suggesting that so, they should change the name to green no, to the sun? No, it's better than better as blue to the horizon. I was just trying to be funny. Sure, sure, sure. Hello, James. Hi. Hi. I went to Theatre Works with a tall Canadian man, and we went to see June. It's a play by Patrick McCarthy. But it's July. It is July, and they're staging June controversially in July. How exciting! Just, yes, I don't think too many people were thrown by that. I um, you would have been? Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's probably best that you weren't there. Um, <laughs> just for that reason. So which space was it? <laughs> uh, it was the traditional regular theatre works one. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that one. one. You know the one? Yep. That's the one. We were there. So yeah, went inside, sat down, we sat in the front row because we are courageous. Oh, bold. Um, the piece itself, I went in knowing that it was like a one person show um, and the one person, very fortunately, was Carolyn Lee. Do you like remember me mentioning Name her before? Name doesn't ring a bell, but go on. She's great. So she was in, most recently she was in... If you say Lenore... No, the amount of times you bring Lenore up. I know it was good, but you've got to stop referencing Lenore. Had nothing to do with Lenore. Okay, all right. <laughs> Carolyn Lee, she was in. Remember that show that you that you're the only one that can say the name of it, and I can't. What? It's spelled S H H H H. How do you? Shh. Yes, at Red Stitch, she was in that. Oh, okay. Yes. Yep. Yes. She played a. Why sister. can't you say Shush again? Because it feels rude, and it's also one of those words that I just can't say. Just say it once. I, I, I it's, uh, shh. Well done, you did <laughs> Yeah, I don't like that. But yes, uh, she was in that, right. where, where she played a sister and a witch. And then <coughs> she was also in, also at Red Stitch, um, I saw, remember that play? It was like two women and they had moved to Asbestos Town and she got yep. mesothelioma. Yes. She was the mother that got mesothelioma. What was called? Um, God, well remembered. I was really putting you on the spot there. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, there's stuff in my head. Mm. <laughs> Most of it's nonsense, but some of it is about asbestos. <laughs> You know, I used to get called asbestos by my geography teacher in high school. Because oh, my because name, your surname is the name, name of the, and th- that was the name of an asbestos company. Big company that made a lot of asbestos, and a lot of people got a lot of um, Milo. What was it called? Yeonopolis. No, the disease, the thing, this what happened. Mesothelioma. Mesothelioma. That's the one. Yes. Um, yeah. So my geography teacher used to call me asbestos because he was trying to pin it on you. He was just making a funny joke that stuck with me for the rest of my life. Mesothelioma is Brit. Funny. Miso <laughs> would be a nice name. Uh, oh, sure. You have to shorten it, I think. It's a mouthful. Miso. Maybe for a cat. You think you should call a cat mesothelioma? Because you can call it miso and pretend that it's like miso after like the... The soup. The, the soup. But it's actually a, about that devastating condition. Mesothelioma. Okay, why are you trying to make mesothelioma work? Tell me about the show. Okay. <laughs> I just want to say that I don't think it's funny when people get mesothelioma. I think no, it's, absolutely it's not. It's very devastating. <laughs> Anything that affects your capacity to breathe is really upsetting Oh, to me. horrible. Anyway, so, went in, sat in the front with the Canadian guy that I went with. Um, And yeah, so, Carolyn comes out, and she starts, like, upstage, on the left, 
softly lit by this lighting. And yeah, she just like starts talking to us. And it's this nice thing where I was like, I was talking to my pal Dominic about it. We both saw it separately. And something that stuck with me that he said was like, it felt like the fourth wall was kind of there, but it was almost kind of like semi-permeable. Like we were present and she was acknowledging that there were people listening to her story. And sometimes it, it seemed like she was explicitly directing what she was saying to a theatre audience. Mm. But sometimes it also felt like we, we were maybe just like some people that she happened to be talking to. It was kind of this like wobbly so in-between thing. I know exactly what you mean. That's oh, sure. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, it was something. And so, yeah, the, the play begins with her saying that she hasn't spoken in a year. And so this is her just like beginning to speak to us. Oh, like actually after, hasn't spoken. Yeah, after a year of yeah silence. And she yeah, talks oh. a bit about throughout the piece how easy it is to get away with not speaking at all, like in your like day-to-day life. Like you just like live by yourself and when you go out, you don't speak to people and you just sort of like walk around. And then, yeah. Yeah, and wow. at, a, at a different point in the piece, uh, yeah, it just talks about like how <laughs> helpful it is to like dance a bit to get things out of you. Um, and there's, yeah. This whole play is like full, which again is by Patrick McCarthy, is full of just like really like beautiful, lovely sentences that was just mm. like nice to hear. Like rolling around in all of these words and now and then just like a really great sentence would just kind of like slap you like an unexpected wave. It was quite nice. Oh, that's so lovely. Yeah, it was good. And why wasn't she speaking? Can I ask, or is that a big spoiler? It's uh, it's a spoiler in the sense of like, yeah, I'd say that like part of like what's satisfying about watching the piece is finding out why it was that she wasn't speaking okay. for that year. I didn't realize that that was the thing that the play was going to tell us. I just thought it was going to be a thing about loneliness. But yeah, a thing happens to her, and then as a result of that, through her coping with it and the people around her coping with it, she ends up by herself All right, okay. for a year. Okay. But yeah, yeah. But throughout the piece, like it's. Uh, it's not necessarily about nostalgia, but she spends some time telling us like things about her past, about falling in love, about this like husband that she has, about her children, and just sort of just like walking like walking us through the life that she's lived up until this point. Yeah, lovely. And, like, yeah, a bunch of like as I said, like some like, really lovely sentences about some observations that she has. Um, you're talking a lot about time. Like, there's this moment in the piece where she's talking about how how like she and her husband collect like beautiful glass bottles and then she they display them all together in this room mm. and they light them in this particular way mm. and she describes the lighting state as feeling like secondhand time which I thought was oh, a really oh that's a lovely line isn't that nice yeah I thought that was lovely but also that was that was also as well as being a moment that I enjoyed the text it was also a moment where I was like first smacked with this feeling that I then was forced to analyse during the show and then afterwards oh you One, love a bit of homework I <laughs> love work to do especially when it's always like it's always against my will but it's yes. like I had to work out what the fuck so it was this thing watching the show and then yeah throughout it they were like there were like chuckles and there were this show was especially littered from the audience with people going hmm Oh, a bit of a thinker. A bit of a, bit of a hmm, a bit of an ah, a bit of a ha. Oh, that oh, sort of nonsense. Wow. Yeah, not super frequent, but enough to be like, oh, okay, that again. <laughs> a lot of knowing nods. A lot of like acknowledgy, like, yes, I That's felt life. that before. Yes, that, yeah, that type yeah. of noise. And I found, found myself getting frustrated by it. <laughs> and I, which I, of course, acknowledge. Stop realising that. <laughs> like, but it was the thing, it was like, and because it happened more in this, in terms of like, my frustration was like, more frequent for, for like for that reason in this than a re- than a show in recent memory. Right. This was like yeah the most intensely that I've had this type of theatrical experience lately. And I was like, oh, why do I feel like that when these people are making these noises? These very valid theatrical noises. <laughs> like, why am I being annoyed by this? And then I think what I worked out while walking around yesterday, I was like, I think all that was like frustrating me was like this thing where it's like sometimes, and I don't think I feel this way all the time, but I think sometimes when I'm watching a piece, and I think it's especially true of pieces that feel very, like this show does, intimate and quiet and kind of like 
I don't know, I guess on paper, quite simple mm. in like even their construction and their execution. When it's something that feels almost like, like as delicate and kind of fragile as the energy of a piece like this feels, I want everyone to be experiencing it like with me so we can feel like a group, like a collective of people going on this very like, yeah, this <laughs> almost as if it's like a very, very precisely constructed, very easy to fall apart like rickety roller coaster or something and uh. you know i do i want to be like it's just yeah i don't know like if anyone even like breathes wrong something might break and the whole thing will come crashing to the ground like it's like it's almost like it, it made me feel similar to when you like show someone a movie that you really like. i was just about to say it's like that it's like you're okay watch this movie stop with looking me at your phone Easy. look at the movie exactly stop yep. asking questions just watch it and yep. it's like why are you going to the bathroom sit down yeah like it's that sort of thing where it's like you need to sit with me and we will watch this movie together and we will both have identical experiences of this thing the way that i think we should experience it i am that it's so funny you mentioned that because i watch movies with flynn my mm. boyfriend of yes uh-huh. um and he and his sister are the sort of people who will watch movies. And I, I, I've told you about when he was a, watched, when he, when he watched the magic show. He was so wildly into it and mm. so taken aback. He, they're the sort of people who take everything in a movie literally. Like if if a character in, like seemingly dies in a movie, he'll like turn to you with his mouth completely open and go like, no, like it's that sort of thing. Oh, okay. To the point where sometimes I'm like, look at the movie, <laughs> watch the movie. <laughs> Because I, I just, I'm you. I'm dead set watching and, mm. and, and don't really do anything else. Yeah. So yeah, I completely understand what you mean. Sure. And that's a really interesting way to think about other people going, hmm, you do sound insane. <laughs> I'm aware. No, okay. and that's the thing. I'm aware it's the thing that I'm bringing to the table and I should leave it at home, but I, that's, <laughs> I can't help it. So it was the sort of thing where it's like, yes, very good. Yes, I enjoyed that sentence as well, but <clears throat> hush now. because <laughs> Please. Because yeah, yeah. It was just one of those things that I felt like oddly territorial over. It's like, m- maybe there is one other person that might be listening to these words currently that has felt that way when someone goes hmm <laughs> if that annoys you maybe it could have something to do with this thing of like wanting to I don't know because even those noises they and I do spend too much time imagining myself into other people's heads but it does have like this ripple thing of like it, that then also means that your sound has become part of their yeah. theatrical experience and again that's part of why audiences exist that's a like a built in part of the theatre but it does feel quite performative doesn't it it does feel quite like oh I got that oh I'm clever <laughs> I think Sometimes that's exactly that's why I get annoyed by it because like, it's oh, like shut up. Yeah, you, you think <laughs> your understanding of this play was so good that I had to hear about it? Because if they, hmm, I'll just have to. Hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. But again, if feedback to the, feedback to that conversation that we had that I think was spurred on, but yeah, by Bernard Hamlet about yeah. the conversation we had about people making like I know Shakespeare noises. Like that oh, sort of God, thing. that's exactly what it is. Right? And again, it's like, it's super valid. Because again, it's like, as much as it frustrated me in this one experience for this one reason for whatever, mm. it's also the thing too. It's like, it's great for people on stage to get the feedback of an audience that's like alive and paying attention. Totally. That's Well, r- Death of a Salesman. What about it? There was that man in the audience talking during Death of a Salesman. Oh, t- totally, stuff. yeah. It's a similar vibe. Yeah, talking along to, yeah, Arthur Miller. Yeah, so, yeah. I know Arthur Miller. <laughs> yes, yes, completely, yeah. Mm. Which, again, is super duper fine, but I, yeah, yeah, I had to analyse it because it elicited so much frustration from me. And again, didn't like it about myself, and now we have come to the end of my essay about that. <laughs> Terrific, anyway, Jake. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess I'm also just going like, to linger quickly on talking about Lisa Mibus's or Mibus, I don't know how to pronounce her surname, but Lisa Mibus designed the lighting, and I just thought it was like this standout wonderful component of the show because it is itself like Carolyn so like masterfully handling all of this text and being so delicate and wonderful with her performance and her delivery of this piece um it was just like so like elevated 
by by the lighting design in oh, the way lovely. that it's like with it being like one of the first things you have to tackle if it's going to be like a one person show that is like largely just this character speaking to us in what feels like the same space the entire time mm. you're going to have to I don't know the, the text has to be wild or there you're going to be something going on something going on and the, and that's that's something go, like going on is presented by the lighting because it just it, it provided like the sensation of like almost like you know how people really like the Da Vinci Code because the chapters were so short it was almost that thing of like <laughs> Right? No, I can't say I do. It was one of the things that people liked about the Da Vinci Code. You know why I love the Da Vinci Code? That's the reason people like the Da Vinci Code, and it's—I'm sure you felt this thing. It's like you are often. Oh, I love a short chapter. I yeah. Well, you love a short book. Whenever I recommend a book to you, it's like how long is it? I do ask that. How big is the font? Yes, because it feels good to turn pages. Oh my god, yes. You're getting through it, and so the lighting provided that type of sensation. Whereas, like, oh, it's a shift now, and now something, even if it's still like almost the same sentence, we need to come up with a word for this. For what? The emulation of like page turning Because we've spoken about this a bunch of times. Like it's so nice having markers that are like, oh, we're at this point in the show, we have this long to go. Oh sure. Well, I feel like this is just different in the way of like I think this is less about us nearing the end, or I, th- I think it's more just about like feeling like you're going on a number of small journeys as opposed to just climbing one mountain. It sure. feels more like you're turning corners down a street. Whereas like the that mark- to me is the same thing. But okay, well I just feel like with the markers of time thing, I think it's more about like uh, knowing we're halfway, knowing we're three quarters of the way, knowing oh, the sure, show's that's almost part over. Of it. But I think yeah, yeah, I just think it's nice having things broken up into bite-sized pieces. Totally, sure, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, if you think of a way to like encapsulate all of that into a couple of words, please do. Um, sweet listener or theatrical or nuggets. Theatrical. <laughs> Theatrical Nuggets is the draft version. <laughs> no, no, it's in pen. <laughs> uh, I got yeah. that tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> anyway, um, you just wanted to bring that up. Um, I'd say, I just because just I feel like I didn't linger on it long enough, I just wanted to say how wonderful it was to get to see Carolyn for such a long period of time. Mm. Every time I've seen her in work before, it's been like, I, I really, really enjoy listening to this woman and watching this woman, and it was just really great. Like, I went into it, I, I ran into, like, a couple of pals on the way to the theatre and planning to go to the theatre to see this piece, and I was like, part of what excited me so much was the chance to get to see Carolyn Carolyn, just for a long period of time, unencumbered by the presence of others, <laughs> and just getting to take up all of the time in the space. Good honour. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just the la- last thing that I just think is kind of like funny and a credit to the piece that I just wanted to bring up was, so like after we saw the show, <laughs> so just <laughs> to quickly resummarize, this woman gets on stage, she hasn't spoken in a year. She does the whole show, the show ends. She bows, the show's over. I'm still with Canadian Man, we go outside, we sit down, we start talking about the show. Uh-huh. And then th- th- through the earliest sentences of what he and I talk about, he comes to say that he thought the whole thing was real. <laughs> Which I just oh. thought was the sweetest, most magical thing in the world. Oh, he truly Canadian thought man. that this woman had gotten on stage after a year of silence and had and, and performed this show for us. Being like What? He thought I mean, what an amazing thing to experience believing it's true. That's what I said to him. Mm. I was like, I'm so jealous that you got to spend this show believing mm. that a woman got up, cleared her throat, told us this story for about an hour, mm. and that it was all fully factual. And you know what that is? That's mark of good acting. Good acting, good writing, good, yeah. it's all of the things. If like if you will manage to create that level of believability, like it's not even suspension of disbelief. It's him just believing yeah. you. Flat out. And it's also it's smart because it's not that out of the crazy. It's not crazy. Like well, it can't have been crazy because yeah, this Canadian guy is not insane. Yeah, well, it's like spending <laughs> he, time with you. He's got some quirks <laughs> and terrible taste in people. Yes, but yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Fully thought that that That's is just what so, had happened what in front of him. What a beautiful thing to happen. I'm to so him. jealous of him. Mm. Yeah. So I just wanted to point that out because if, I don't know, if I'd made this show and someone felt that way, I'd want them to know. Was so. her first line like, <coughs> Sorry. That was one of the things that made him suspicious. It was like, her voice is pretty warmed up for someone that hasn't spoken oh, in a year. Canadian man. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought that was a sweet thing. That, that is happened. very sweet. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm, yeah. June and July. Yes. <laughs> it defies logic, but it happened. 
Kaboom! It's got... another explosion! Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> because I went to the explosives factory. Of course. Thank you very much. Thank yes. you very much. Uh-huh. Uh, hi, Jake. I went to the St. Kilda... St. Kilda? Theatre Works Explosives Factory. Yes. Which is a venue I've never been to before. Oh, this is your first time. This is my first time going there. Oh. Oh. <laughs> You've told me about it many times. Yes. Um, I went there with my friend Patrick. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> on our way, I had to convince him that I was not taking him down to an alleyway to shoot him in the back. Okay. Because entering that venue does feel like you're taking someone down an alleyway to murder them. Oh, right. It's dark. It's scary. Quack, quack. And then you go up the stairs. Beautiful black box theatre. Right. After that, like, what feels like almost like a, like a liminal bright white coloured staircase. Yeah, it's very bright. It is very bright. Mm. And the steps are a bit taller than you think they're going to be. <laughs> and there's another step at the top that nearly tripped us. Golly! Golly! <laughs> um, so that's my... Uh, this sounds like a and Yelp review. And that was the show that I saw. There we go. Um, so I saw Rough Trade. Okay. Uh, written and performed by Katie Pollock. Mm-hmm. Uh, directed by Anthony Scoose. Cool. Um, or skews, I'm not too sure. The show has a seemingly a lot of similarities between June as well. Mm. It's a one-woman show, mm-hmm. middle-aged. Yeah. Uh, Katie comes out and she's telling us a story about her life. How old is middle-aged? So middle-aged to me yes. is like I would say forties and fifties is okay. middle-aged to me. Okay. And so once you're out of your fifties, you're elderly. Uh, is that what comes I would, next? I would say you're nearing elderly in your 60s. I only say nearing because my parents are 60s and I don't want them to hear this and me to call them old. What's wrong with being old? They're old. They're getting <laughs> old. They're getting elderly. 60s. So let me put it this way. I work in medical administration. Uh-huh. When you're organizing an appointment for someone in their 60s, that's when you put them in the middle of the day because they're old and they need to have a better time. Okay. Or you need to call them and make sure that they can actually get themselves to appointments. Oh, right. So, 60s for me is nearing elderly. What an interesting administrative reason that you gave. That's good. Well, that's, that's, that's interesting. interesting. And if they're any older, you need to call like them and, and then make sure, call their children and make sure they know how to get there. You know, there's a whole thing. Okay. Um, Thank you for training me. That's all right. I'm a really good trainer. Um, yeah. So, middle age is, I'd say, 40s and 50s. Okay, great. Um, so, yeah. So, Katie's in is in her 40s or 50s. Great. Uh, and the, she comes on out. It's a little white box, like white taped box space she's got on the... Is that white taped box always there in the... No, because no, I have no idea what you're describing. Great, great. Okay. <laughs> um, with three really beautiful old school big... Um, lighting fixtures, okay. like, like theatre lighting fixtures that she comes on, uh-huh. switches on. Patrick and I are sitting in the front of the two rows, uh-huh. uh, and it's a diamond thrust stage. Ooh. Ah. Yeah. Uh, so we're on one of the sides, and there's other people on one of the other sides, but it's nice not, a, not a traverse. Not a traverse. Yes. Great. Um, so Katie comes out, turns on the lights, gets mm. on, pulls out her phone, and very much like you described June, starts talking sort of to the audience, sort of to herself, just sort of casually about her life mm. and um, her experiences. And the Rough Trade Facebook group. Okay. Yeah. Is that a thing I should have heard of before? Uh, it's a thing you might have heard of. So Rough okay. Trade, which I had heard of before this show, mm-hmm. is a Facebook... Or at least I've heard of a group very similar to it that I think is Rough Trade. Anywho, okay. it's a Facebook group where you can swap things. So people will post like, I've got a bag of lemons. Who wants them? Any sort of good offers. And people will be like, yeah, I've got like a bag of chalk or I've got like three... Oh, so you do have to trade stuff. It's a trading... You can't just take things. Well, as as Katie explains at some point, there's all sorts of different deals on there. So some people are just looking to get rid of stuff. Some people are looking to swap stuff. Some people are looking for specific things and offering trades. So it's a very much like... There's no money involved is one of the rules. Oh, cool. No money. All right. So it's very much like a community group, uh, Facebook group that is all about like providing for people with stuff you no longer need. That sounds beautiful. It, this show moved me in ways I cannot express to you. 
Oh god! Like I, I bought, I bought the script. I bought the script of this show. It, it was so. Katie is an incredible. First of all, an incredible performer. Mm. Like basically, the show is sort of uh, uh, works out with. It's a few mixture of stories of her time on the group, like different weird swaps she's seen people do, stories of different sort of people that are on the group, and then stories of why she sort of came to the group in the first place and mm. what she is there for. Um, and she sort of explains all this stuff with a really dry humor, dry, dry voice. Like she just sounds like someone, the way that she talks, and I don't say this meanly, sounds like she's just seen a lot, seen it all. Like she's just, nothing shocks her. And the way I just could listen to this woman narrate anything. Right. Um, I don't want to, I don't know what I want to say without giving too much away, but she unpacks the traumas of things like divorces, things like abusive relationships and, and that sort of, history that she has and, and and I know that the story is written from true events in her life not sure which parts of it um, and she then sort of uses the Facebook group of Rough Trade to bring herself back up and so she'll talk about how she went through a rough breakup and she had to get rid of all her stuff and she didn't know what to do and she just posted it on the group chat and someone came and took all this stuff away from her hmm. that, she, that meant she didn't have to see it anymore and she didn't have that energy in her house anymore how she d- didn't have enough money for food, so she was able to swap lemons from her backyard for food stamps or, or, or you know, food. Yeah. And the community that grew out of... Really, really, that element really moved me. Just this network of people out there online looking after each other and supporting each other like that really moved me in itself. Hmm. But then Katie sort of goes on and talks about more personal elements of her life, like the experience of getting older, the experience of people not really paying attention to you when you get older. She said this one line, and I'm going to read just this one line that really moved me. Mm. She's talking about the idea of the difference between older men and older women and how older men can sort of get away with anything because, you know, they're men, obviously, and she feels like she's just getting less and less noticed. And she just says, I don't recall the precise moment I became invisible. It's a cloak that slowly wraps itself around you. And then she just sort of goes on to describe, like, these different clothes that older women wear, like a nice warm cardigan when it's cold outside or, like, a gown when it's cold inside and just wrapping herself up and being becoming invisible. Just, like, brought some tears to my eyes hmm. just watching this talented, wonderful performer describe being ignored like that yeah. and the fear of becoming more and more ignored like that. And then she discusses, like... How after a divorce, she had sort of spent the entire first half of her life in this relationship thinking that she was going to put in the hard work and then when they retire, they'd be able to look after themselves and she would then get her awards. But now she's just got the short end of both sticks. Mm. And she, oh God, Jake, this thing made me cry. Um, Did any of that stuff resonate with you in a way that was because of things you feel about any of these things you're talking about? A little bit. Like, I definitely... It's not at all the same situation, but, you know, getting older is scary for anybody. Mm -hmm. Like, nearing 30 now is sort of like, I am looking down the barrel and thinking, like, God, I'm getting older. Things aren't as easier. So that element related, I I felt. I felt. But also, I related to it in terms of... I was watching Katie do this performance. I was like, that's my mum. Like, that's my aunt. That's the women I work with at Mm. work. Like, I know this woman. Mm. Like, this sort of eclectic woman who has a wild past and and now is on the rough trade facebook group like that's the sort of people that are out there and why that group exists yeah i I don't know man i don't know (laughs) 
lot of lot of feels about this. Yeah, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, even listening to you say some of that stuff, like it is uh, devastating and awful mm. that we live in like a in a, in a, in, a, in a world at the moment. We live in like, a society. We do and in in one where it does feel like there is something inherently tragic about a woman aging. Yes, like even just then, like trying to talk about the show, I was like, should I call her middle age? Should I say that? Right. But that's totally fine. Yeah. Like, <laughs> shocker, it's fine. Yeah. And you're right, there is this that inherent fear about it, mm. which is not there for men as much. Sure. Um, as a gay man, I definitely feel it. Uh-huh. In gay years, I'm dead. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I just found it incredibly moving. Um, also, th- with, the dis- with the use of the Rough Trade Facebook group, there was a lot of discussion about the importance we place on objects and the sort of... Uh, f- the uh, personality we breathe into objects like after a relationship she spoke about like all of these pe- times she sees people post on the group I just gotta get rid of all this stuff please someone come and take it oh my god and someone will come along and give them the greatest gift of all which Katie describes is taking that away for them oh. so they don't have to worry about it anymore so it's out of their <sighs> life and they don't need to do anything nope that sounds so sad it was oh. so <laughs> moving I found it so moving um, yeah, for all those reasons that you're now thinking right now, I was just like teary, laughing, all the things, all the feels, all the feels. Um, and with all that said, Katie's also very funny. Like yeah. she speaks a lot about like, she wanted to do a show about, she wanted to use Rough Trade. And I wonder if this is real. She wanted to use Rough Trade to find people who would be willing to volunteer to be in a dildo musical which, <laughs> where everyone was dressed up as dildos. Like she's, she's written one. She's, I think, well, this is the thing in the show, at least Katie is writing one. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> and she was going to use rough trade to seek out that group. So, <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Um, and then throughout the show, she keeps getting like phone notifications and she keeps checking her phone to sort of, and cause she's got the notifications turned on for rough trade. So she'll then read out the trades that she's seen. Like someone wants that to are literally sh- coming in as she's performing by chance. No, no, it's part of the script. Okay. Part of the script. But, but from what I can tell, these are, what would really go on a rough trade because yeah. I have seen trade groups like this and they're fucking wild oh. like there's people out there being like I've got like a bunch of old dead mice does anybody want them and someone would be like and then as Katie describes she would sort of bring up like crazy random stuff and then someone who would yeah very understandably want that item like oh yeah I have like a pet python that I'm rehabilitating I'll take those dead mice oh. and stuff like that and it's like this is what communities all about. Yeah, it's stuff. You, it's, it's sharing stuff. We should be need. living in a field. We should be living in a field and 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 just running in a field, and 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 dancing in a field and raising children together in a field. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't really. I, I feel like I've said everything I want to say about the show. I just I really loved it. Uh, I guess Jake. Here's a question. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> and I like asking you questions. I do. What? <laughs> Would you say there is a, a, a social media uh, app or f- website or something in your life that you think has changed your life that much? N- uh, no. Or something that has really altered the course of your life? <sighs> altered it? My mind goes to Instagram, I suppose, just because I'm not really on many social media things. I'm the only <laughs> no. one that I'm kind of on. Um, I suppose only in the sense of like, and I was thinking about, yeah, while you were talking about this rough trade Facebook group, I like that there seems to be something and maybe it's in the way that it's characterized in the show or by you. I'm not sure, Mm. but it sounds like there's almost like this assumption that the people engaging with it are in a position where they don't feel great about themselves. There's people on rough trade who are there because they have nowhere else to like, no other options to get stuff. 
but not not all of them. I, yeah, well, I, I I guess the thing that intrigued me about that, and that isn't me trying to evade your question. No, no, no. but I, there's there's something really nice in like if people if we're going to go to Instagram, like people talk about the assumption being with Instagram that largely speaking an issue with it, and some element of it is the idea that people are you know that 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 tropey garbage thing people say about Instagram being like it's a like a highlight reel and don't compare yourself to other people's lives. Yeah. I like there's something immediately attractive to me about the idea of like the sort of these assumptions of like the, almost like the price of entry or whatever it is. Like people go on grinder because they're horny. People go on Hinge because they're lonely. Yeah. People go on Rough Trade because they're like depressed and want to get a bunch of stuff taken away. Totally. Like I, I very much resonate with that mindset or like there seems to be for whatever reason something very, not poetic because that cheapens it, but there's just something attractive for some reason, even just mentally and in some degree it must be emotionally. An idea that there's like a place on the internet to go if you're sad and need a favour. Totally. That yeah, sounds totally. really lovely to and me. And also I think the fact that it grew out of, of a Facebook group. Yeah, it's so beautiful that like seemingly human necessity invented that. That it's so nice. That, well, <laughs> they, they, with the idea of like necessity breeding invention, right? The idea of like something. There's something in the human experience and the, cum, the communal human experience mm. that required the creation of this thing. Otherwise, it wouldn't have flourished. You know, totally. Even on the internet, there is the desperate need for connection. Yeah, so, or it's like it almost like if we didn't have the internet, this community possibly couldn't exist. Well, that's another thing. It's and she mentioned when it, there was a time when the Facebook group got like struck down for like violations of some sort. Like someone posted a photo of something that had something that looked like nipples. Right. So Facebook <laughs> took it down. That as, does sound terrifying. As Katie said, got zucked. It, it devastated the group, and they had to sort of band back together and and come back together and recreate it. So yeah, you're right. There's clearly a need like a desperate need for this sort of connection, mm. even in the online age. Oh my goodness. Especially in the online age. For sure. Yeah. Until we get to that field. Yeah. Yeah, but then when we get to the field, we won't have stuff. No. So we can't do What if it's a very cluttered field? Why are we going to a cluttered... You know what? I don't care. We bring the clut. Oh. <laughs> and that's all I'll say oh, on I that. Oh, I got the clut all over the place. <laughs> Hello, James. Hi, James. Hi. Hello. <laughs> I went to the MC showroom. Famously, may or may oh, not have a hole in the roof. The one with the hole in the roof, Or yes. not. We're not sure anymore. Anyway, I went to the MC showroom. Why were you there, Jake? I was there to see a play. It's called Untitled Three-Hander, and it's written by Hayden Hayes, who was also in the show. Hayden Hayes, that's a great name. It's a beautiful name. Uh, yes, but I went there with a wonderful New Zealand man, and then we went in and... What is with you and just always dropping different men from different parts of the world? What? <laughs> Into the conversation. It's amazing. It's 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 quite impressive. I just <laughs> You got British Johnny, you have Canadian man, now you've got New Zealand man? Yeah. What are you doing? Building a harem of English speaking countries? I don't intend to be constructing a, a, a group like that. No, I suppose I'm just I'm a I, I, I'm international in my proclivities. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Yeah, you've asked a weird question and you've made me nervous. I switched you out to sea and I'm just watching the ship sink. <laughs> I don't know. He happens to be from New Zealand. I didn't actually care. <laughs> I just think it's funny. Go Great. on. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah. So we went and then, yeah, we went inside, went up, and then I got there first because you know how New Zealand people are always late. You know? I, I, I can't say I do know that. I went in and then I, yeah, went to the, you know, how it works. You go, you say your name, you get the ticket. Yes. <laughs> um, so I spoke to, <laughs> to this man named Chris. Apparently he's on he's on the production team. That's a fact Good. for you. There you go. And yeah, it was wonderful talking to him, partly because what I got to like hear about amongst like the wonderful conversation I got to have with him, something that I learned was that I, like in the play itself, it's kind of like he described it as having Pinteresque banterism. Pinterest. That's great. Yeah? Yeah. In the, So what do you think that means? Well, I know that Pinter... Was Pinter a writer? Yes. Uh, yeah, that's all I know. Great. I just think the, the phrase Pinteresque made me immediately first think of Pinterest. Right. Okay. So I immediately thought it was like 
like a like a strung up fairy lights with little like heart shaped cutouts or something. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like quaint and kooky lights. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So what what did Pinter actually write? Pinter Harold Pinter his most well known play I guess is the Birthday Party. Nope. Um. But yeah, he's more renowned for kind of like the tone of his work. Sure. So he himself re- like resented the fact of Pinteresque existing as an adjective. But I think he just didn't feel like his work required that type of categorization, and he didn't think that his work had qualities that were consistent enough to lend themselves to a label. How would you feel if someone sort of came up with a term for the way you write? Because you do have a fairly distinctive voice with your writing. If you insist. Yeah, I don't know. Like I... If someone started saying, like, uh, Jakeisms. Jakeisms. Yeah, or, or, or stupidly. To do things stupidly. <laughs> that sounds very fancy. How do you feel about that? Um, I'd be fine. Like, uh, yeah, no, that'd be fine. Okay. That's, yeah, no. So Harold was just well, weird. <laughs> well, what I make theatre because I, I think it would be like a, an interesting thing to contribute to a conversation. So if people are having it in conversation, that's kind of goal achieved, I suppose. You anyway, beautiful Moza. <laughs> so yes, um, yeah, a lot of uh, something else that people tend to attribute to Pinter when they think about his work too is the idea of pausing because he quite famously writes a lot of pauses into his work, which he does also say that you can just ignore if you want to oh. um but that's it's not really thing. committing is it well it's th- that's maybe part of his gripe with pinteresqueness is the idea that like people think that he's very like he treats those pauses very sacredly but yeah. he says that you don't need to acknowledge them if you don't want so to. there's if, if you were doing a, a show by pinter you could uh-huh. ignore the pauses you absolutely could yes and it's jokes like that that would enrage mr harold i <laughs> could <laughs> Good, I want to piss him off. Um, Yeah, that's something. And also, like, something that's quintessentially Pinteresque is this sense of, like, not having all the pieces necessary to, like, understand the consequences of everything that happens on the stage. Like, there's something almost lacking in the way of, like, everything kind of seems to have... And this is kind of, like, me and my... What I remember of, like, sort of, like, reading of Pinter and reading Pinter and talking about Pinter Mm. is this idea that there's kind of this, like, confusing, almost, like almost like there's a, like a like a layer of like water in the house like it's almost like there's this like hip deep flood in a home and everything's kind of floating in the flood together and so everything kind of matters in this i don't know in this soup of inconsequence or something like that nothing you have completely lost me in the way of like it sounds a bit abstract it's a bit abstract okay cool. and this is me filtering my knowledge of pinter through me sure so sure that's just yeah if you can kind of bear that in mind as i talk about how this show goes and how it feels there's kind of this idea that like you don't have all the knowledge you need to understand what the characters do but they're doing something and they clearly know what it is but for some reason there's no one in the piece being like it's weird that you're doing that do you know that but it's almost as if oh what's it like it's so much, It's similar in the way it's like one of my like earliest experiences on this podcast of pulling a Jake was when I went, went and saw that Carol Churchill play Traps and British Johnny was like, yes. I think it's about incest, I does. Yes, yes, and neither <laughs> yes. of you knew what was going on. It was that thing where it was like Carol Churchill with that was just like, what if all these different types of person happened to live in a house, but none of them actually live in this house. It's just an experiment that me, Carol Churchill, feels like doing. Yeah, right. And there's not really a plot, but I just put all these people in a house together and let's see what happens. And not much of what they say actually has much consequence or bearing on a reality that I also have no real interest in painting vividly for you. Oh, cool. It's that type of carefreeness. Great. It's that. But it's like Harold Pinter's plays, in terms of tone, tend to lack any whimsy. <laughs> his, 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 plays, his plays, yeah, at least the ones I'm familiar with, are not joyful. They're more of like this murky, kind of like menacing, well, like, right oh, what's happening? This mm. is kind of like dark and confusing, quack, okay. quack. So, yeah, go inside, sit down with a guy. He's from New Zealand. Not relevant. We're sitting there. The show starts, preset, orgasm, oh! of course. Oh! <laughs> oh, 
go on. Yes, but it's one of these, like, you know, these interesting kind of, like, unpredictable presets in the way that it's, like, it's Hayden Hayes, who was also in the piece. Yes. He's, like, sort of, like, at one point in what seems like it's a very, like, unlit, naturalistic-looking, like, apartment set. Mm-hmm. That we see, and he's amidst it, kind of like like gradually piecing the pieces together necessary to like don a tuxedo. So it's like him slowly getting dressed into this tuxedo while like faffing about his house. Is it like a like a modern looking apartment? In the darkness that it is engulfed in, it seems like quack quack. quack. It looks like it's probably like I'm not an interior designer. I'd say that it could comfortably be kind of like a dated looking modern apartment. Okay. Yeah? <laughs> I just know that you're bad at judging these things. Oh, so you just want to make me look a fool. No, no, no. I, I wanted to give you a chance. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> One of these days I will grow. What They've that? somehow, like, decked out this space that, with all my experience thus far with the MC showroom, mm. the big space they have, mm. uh, it's typically quite, like, you know, black curtained and neutral. Quite but sparse. They- yeah. <laughs> no, no, I just mean usually it's not dressed up a whole bunch. Yeah, but this, yeah. no, they've got like a kitchen that looks like it works, and then they've got like oh. three doors somehow. Didn't you see music there? And didn't they have a working kitchen? I was just thinking of u- music. Yes, they had like a hot plate in the middle of the room. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. like yeah, like a hanging frame of house around them, and that was music. Y- yeah, yes, let's, that was. Let's forget it. <laughs> Sure. Sorry, I immediately had this flash of Ben Smalley <laughs> sitting there Stop. before the play started. Yeah. Should I talk more about Ben Smalley? Do it! So, but yeah, they've got these two beautiful red doors, another door, they have this fake window on the left. How many doors <laughs> there? Was there? <laughs> you couldn't move for doors. <laughs> then there was the other door that's like directly on the right. Four doors. Check out too many doors. And plus a curtain you can vanish behind. <gasps> it was entrances and exits galore. Oh my god. Yeah, there was like a rug with a couch on it. It sounds p- prime for, for some slapstick, to be honest. <laughs> you are hungry for some I'm violent fast. I'm hungry fuss. for some slapping of sticks. <laughs> and then, yeah, at one point there's an additional chair. There's <gasps> a coat rack. <gasps> there's a bunch of stuff going on. Okay, you're just listing objects. At Thank you. Point. Yes, I am. And so, yeah, no. So, we do. yeah, eventually the show itself does begin. And then, so then we've got like Declan Clifford and Hayden Hayes live together in this apartment Mm -hmm. and we're sort of watching Hayden Hayes' character get ready to like go on a date that's why he's wearing this tuxedo to go and like reconnect with this woman that he hasn't seen in seven years what are they doing for a date that he has to wear a tuxedo well that's part of this pinterness about it (laughs) you know oh okay it's clicked a bit for me now right it begins this pattern of like people have made these choices they've got these interests they're doing this behavior and it's odd of course and it's like Maybe someone will call them out on it. Maybe they won't. But no one will ever say, you, you, that's absurd. You're okay. acting as if you're in a like strangely written play. <laughs> that, that example has immediately helped me understand what you mean. Oh, great. Yeah. Like Another example as well is like in the second act, we come back and Hayden's character has just developed this interest in starting a plant sanctuary. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So he's just bought this pot plant... And he just wants to just house more and more plants. Yeah, I'm with you. Yes, I'm it's more. You. Yeah, it's I'm like, in there with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that sort of thing where it's like the characters get almost like tangled in these conversations that are kind of like from the outside, rather nonsensical, rather like lacking in consequence. Mm. Um, but but it seems to be what their lives are entirely constructed of. Yeah, right. Is these almost like toilet bowl circulations of just. Whatever happens to be in their minds. You at could the just say one of those coin dropper things that circles around. You don't need to say toilet bowl. You think it's easier for me to describe that unnameable thing where you put a coin you in a cone? You famously hate talking about toilets. I do. That's how much I want to talk about this play and the details with which wow. I want to do it. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah. job. Yeah, I was really into this piece. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes, and as well. Yes. Yeah. So it's like 
Hayden goes off and meets this woman. <laughs> this woman is played by Abigail King. Mm-hmm. They have uh, like a, the, the, this dinner date that happens. They drink wine. The piece itself is constructed of just like large scenes in sequence, right. which too is part of the charm. Because I just enjoyed like wallowing around in all of Hayden's words, like all the things that he's written. And the, it was just nice to get to spend so much time with just a bunch of text mm. and a bunch of just like lovely people delivering the text. And, and to come back to yeah, the scene I was just describing poorly was that yeah, to see <laughs> Hayden and Abigail on this date together and like the moment where they like. <laughs> get the red wine they order so the ordering wine the waiter's like what wine do you want and Hayden's like red and the right. waiter's waiting for more descriptions of what wine he chose <laughs> but he's very confidently just like red and then waits for the wine and then the wine comes he pours the wine into the glasses Hayden takes this long sommelier sniff of the wine sips it and then goes wine is good <laughs> <laughs> it's just Terrific. that type of what feels like almost like base humour in some way yeah. but in the way that it's just like almost like dealing with the bric-a-brac of what conversation's made of that sounds great it that was, sounds like a really nice experience to sit and watch. And again, yeah, somehow it was just very linguistically soothing. It was mm. just nice. And it was almost, there was something almost relaxing, which I'm just realizing now. Like, I've spent so much time since seeing this show thinking about why the experience of it was so unique and exciting and engaging and odd. But and, and part of it was just the fact of, like, something about them, like, these characters having to worry about the nonsense of their existence, mm. but me not having enough information to worry with them, <laughs> was almost relaxing. Oh, in, totally. In the way it's okay. like, I don't know, like... There's something that happens where it's like Declan when he gets a girlfriend and he spends kind of like the bulk of the play with this this character played by Lizzie Ballinger. So Lizzie Ballinger is this woman that we sort of meet at the very start. They kind of like have sex. They euphemistically refer to it as dancing, which is right. unexplained. But again, it's one of those flourishes where it's like, okay, talk yep. about sex like it's dancing. That's yep. fine. Um, but yeah, and we watch her gradually sort of transform into this 1950s quintessential housewife. Oh. Uh, like from being... Who immediately upon seeing her, this woman seems as if she's this very like independent, like, almost like, not career-focused, but she seems like, (laughs) carries herself almost like a contemporary dancer. Like, she looks like maybe she goes to, like, I don't know, like an angry ballet school or something, you know? Oh, scary But we see, yeah, totally a scary Mm. energy. Yeah. Um, And we kind of, like, see her morph into this, yeah, idealized caricature of, like, a, yeah, one of those, like, quintessential 60s women. Like the, like a, like a don't worry darling style. A Mad Men person. I haven't seen Mad Men, but I, I think that's what it is. Yeah. We're unclear on why that occurs. And we're unclear on why Declan's character wants her to become that, but he clearly does. Mm. And it's... But we don't get that information. You know, even in the confrontation towards the end where she insists that the person that he's trying to turn her into doesn't exist and he needs to fall out of love with whoever that is, we don't really get the pieces as to why he wants that or what... If he's trying to emulate some element of his history, like, that, they aren't facts that we get. Right. And it's like, it's that sort of omission where it's like... You guys get it. <laughs> we don't. And, and I we're don't... just watching the fight. And we're just watching... Yeah, we're just yeah. watching all this stuff unfold and it's just happening because all of you characters and this playwright insist that it must. That does sound soothing. It's... <laughs> well, it doesn't sound soothing, but it sounds like a calming experience for you. I'm glad it's coming across that you way. Know, yes. No, because it was for that reason. And it also meant that like, and we were in the good fortune of having this like really wonderful, talented, charismatic collection of performers to get to watch. Oh, great. Because each of them, like, even though it's called an untitled three-hander, there are, of course, four actors in it. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so even like the, the brief glimpse we kind of get of Abigail King on this date, it's like she gets to showcase the, the I don't know, the, the wonderful warmth of of her performance in this piece, and then beyond that, yeah, I just have to, yeah, we get briefly hung up on Declan Clifford for a second, because he has this, ah, and I don't know, (laughs) while watching it, I was, like, trying to describe it in my head, but, and I still don't really necessarily have the words for it, but it's just, like, there's something in his (laughs) characterization and delivery of so many sentences where it's, like, he seems to have, and even though a lot of his character comes across as quite menacing in this way that he wants to kind of, like, like, 
I don't know, reconstruct this woman into whatever this fantasy he has of like the femininity that he wants around oh, him. It's kind of scary. It's if you just because you said that, mm. it's like there was this really after after a play that largely, as I said, felt quite soothing in terms of my audience experience of it. There was this darkness that happened, quack quack, quack, quack when like towards the end, like at the pointy end of where she's about to sort of like break out of this almost what seems like a trance of her turning from this angry ballet dancer into into this Stepford wife. She emerges from a bedroom wearing this gown that Declan's character has purchased her. Mm. And there was something, and it was a feeling I had not felt for the entire play. There was something about watching her emerge from this bedroom, wearing this gown, walking towards her boyfriend and seeing the way that he got so like softly excited about seeing her in it, Mm. where it did, like something turned like, that's all that was happening on stage, but something turned inside of me. And suddenly this play was like a horror movie. Oh my God. What's Happening. Yeah, that sounds amazing. It was like, I felt like there was about to be blood. I mm. felt like someone was about to get really hurt. I mm. felt like just there was suddenly something so menacing about everything that was happening. And it was so transfixing. Wow, and then, that sounds yeah. amazing. And then, of course, something happened. But it was like, yeah, that, yeah, sorry, you just mentioned, yeah, that. No, that sounds then, like that, that oh, premise is a scary one. Yeah, no, and, and to achieve something that felt, it was one of those moments that we've both described before. And... Yeah, th- th- those moments you have in theatre where it's like, I feel like I'm going through something that I feel very alone in. And it feels like yeah. I'm experiencing something that it seems like almost... like To be a theatre maker trying to make someone feel the way these sorts of moments make you feel as an audience member, you wouldn't even know how to go about trying to construct that moment on stage. And then doing describe what that moment would Absolutely. Like. like, I would love to know if, like, if at any point, if, if, if in that moment of the script, Hayden had written something... Uh, like they even like hearkened to this experience that I went through in that moment, yeah. you know, like, like how much of that. Mm. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No. The, totally. Yeah. No. And yeah, it and... sounds like the absolute antithesis to the knowing. Hmm. <laughs> sure. The Shakespeare. Sure. Yeah. Mm. yeah. 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 The thing that sort of like pulls you underwater for a second. And it's yeah. like, Oh my and goodness, is this play like a totally different creature than what I thought it was? Good moments. Or it's like, yeah, is this whole time has it had like an extra arm I didn't know about and now it was bonking me on the head? Yeah, no. So yeah, I, whether or not it was like a thing that Tony Rive, the director did, or Hayden, or whoever, yeah, whoever, like the people on stage, I don't know. But that was just like a very memorable, that will stick with me for quite some time, I Shout think. Shout out to them. Shout out! Yes, yes, there's that classic catchphrase we've all come to love and uh, know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, sorry, I got distracted by that and now I'm going back to talking about Declan very quickly. Okay. I just, yeah, I just, there's something in like, the, the softness and the, the, the tenderness with which he approaches the, the things that bring him joy in his characterization of this character. Mm. Like, it, it almost seems like he's, he's seeking out these, what feels like very like small, tender things that will bring him happiness in his life, a life that it seems like he's almost happy with having be quite small. But in his, <laughs> somehow in his physicality, it seems as if he's seeking out these little things but he's always ready at any moment for someone to smack him on the head and tell him to stop. You right, know? yeah. And somehow there's something very like lovable and tender about it. Even though as I'm describing this quality, it sounds scary. <laughs> it sounds really... You're not describing a nice person. No, but it's like, it's... I, yeah, I don't know. But there was something, for some reason, super duper endearing. And it's, I don't know, it's, I don't know, it's to do with like how his eyeballs work. And it's to do with like the things that make him smile. Mm. Somehow it's all like lovely and really, really like sweet and human to watch him do it. I don't know. It was just very, like, this like, glittery melancholy that I was just, like, really into. Oh, that's so lovely. It was something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Just seeing him, like, miserable and wrapped in a blanket, too, was just, mm. like, 
I don't know. Oh, that's your that's your favorite image. I'm so into just seeing depression on stage. Yeah, that's one of your favorite things in the world. <laughs> it's it is. It super duper is. Yeah. Um. And yeah. So and to use this as like a segue to get to talking about the wonder of Hayden. Yeah. There was this moment towards the very start, and it's the it was sort of like the, the kickoff moment where I was like, oh my god, I think I'm really going to enjoy this play. Mm. Was Hayden was in his tuxedo about to head off to this confusing date, and he sort of like declares to the open door like, this is the rest of my life. Oh. <laughs> but it's like not only is that super charming at the same time upstage Declan is in the kitchen just kind of like trying to find a place to put a rag <laughs> and I just thought it was so, so, so magical to yeah. have such a like a huge declaration occurring at the same time of like where am I gonna put this rag <laughs> just uh, that's really funny and again I don't know how much of that was in the script or in the direction or what the <laughs> fuck it was but I just thought it was magical stage stuff that sounds great yeah um, yeah, yeah, and yeah, don't ask me to talk about Hayden because I will do it for too long. But I just, yeah, enjoy it. This is my first experience of seeing him on stage and hearing his words. As far as I know, I'm quite sure I've never heard him write before. Um, I'd love to, yeah, work out what it is that he finds about like how distinctly he wants to mine this whole Pinter energy, like how much he wants to spend any more of his career kind of like paying any sort of homage to the things that he potentially really loves about Pinter. I'm curious, like I hope I get a chance to talk to him about that. But yeah, even still, I just, yeah, he was so impressive in the way that it was just like, he has this very, like, relaxed charisma to himself. I like the way that he uses his body. I like this, like, kind of, like, I don't know. I don't know. There's, like, relaxed strength to him yeah, that in itself seems like... A power. A, a power a power that feels, I don't know, somehow uniquely present inside of him. Oh, amazing. There's been a sure. lot of good theatre makers. There's just a lot of theatre makers in the world. I just don't know how there's so many all the time. <laughs> Always. We're always seeing new stuff by new people. Yeah. When's yeah. it going to stop? Do you want it to stop? Maybe. <laughs> no, definitely not. Sure, yeah. And I'm just going to say as well, like, Lizzie Ballinger as, as the girlfriend that slowly morphs into this into this bewitched lady. Interceptive wise. Yes, I don't know why I went with bewitched instead. I'm, of course, referring to the... bewitched is 50... The, the old school black and white one, right? The, the, the black and white one that that's turns colour. Not because of witchcraft, but because, because of technology. Oh, sure, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I just want to yeah, point out how, how marvel- marvellous it was to watch her kind of, like physically become this other woman and and yeah the intensity that she brought to the role and again I, I feel like we so often get hung up on talking about like uniquely beautiful like woman voices mm. but just add her to the museum of like women with wonderful speaking voices we need a gallery we need a gallery I need, we need a gallery of these women with incredible speaking voices that I can just go to and listen to because there's so many of them that's a great idea and Holly Hunter can be at like the, the opening of it yeah yeah <laughs> No, I don't know. She's the woman that does the voice of the mother in The Incredibles. Oh, Holly Hunter! Holly oh, Hunter. Oh, Mayday, Mayday, there are kids on board. Oh, Holly Hunter. <laughs> yeah, she was like the mother in The Big Sick. Remember when we were all talking about The Big Sick? No. All of a sudden? You don't remember this. What is The Big Kumal Sick? Kumal Nanjani made that vaguely autobiographical movie about how he like fell in love with his wife. No. No. Anyway, I really enjoyed my time at this show. I enjoyed, I enjoyed too, the energy, the whole thing. Like, there was just like a thing that maybe isn't even worth bringing up, but there was like, (laughs) Chris, as well as being like a wonderful charismatic presence at the box office, was also in charge of like helping the, the set change between each scene. Oh, great. And they had these very, (laughs) 
one of the most charming things about this show, and so many things were, <laughs> was the fact of, like, these scene transitions were not worried about taking too long. They just put on this very, like, upbeat elevator music. They oh. dimmed the lights a bit, and then people just shuffled furniture around for as long as it took. <laughs> that's theatre baby. That's theatre baby. And then, yeah, and then then Chris would just give the lighting person a thumbs up, and then the next scene would begin. It's like, oh, you're right. No why bother? Why hide anything? Yeah, we, <laughs> just, know, we know what you're doing. Yeah, just show us all of it. <laughs> Are we not here to see the scenes change? I love it. I do. I don't know. Yeah, super into this show. It was weird. If you somehow get a chance to see it, do it, I think. Um, if you're open to seeing something that maybe is a bit unfamiliar in the way that it feels. And yeah, yeah, I got to experience like a bunch of artists that I hope I, I have something to do with in the coming times. <laughs> is how I wanted to say that. Um, yeah, yeah, no, and sorry, and just to loop back, because I don't, I don't know, I get these anxieties that I don't give some people enough credit for particular things, but yeah, no, no, I just want to, yeah, point it, yeah, yeah, I don't know, just grateful for like the oddness of Hayden's work in this piece in terms of like, writing but I don't know it's just, it's nice to hear a voice that feels so confidently distinct I okay. think you know like even if, if what he had done with this what feels like an experiment had been like super unbearable and what felt like a waste of time it's I, I don't know it would have been worth it just for the sake of having another odd voice in the world you love an odd voice I love an odd voice especially if it has a lisp oh, oh don't get him started on the lisp I won't stop Here we are, another yeah. day, mm -hmm. another sleigh! Oh my goodness. Um, sorry for that. <laughs> no, that's fine. If that's how you want to talk, you can talk like that if you want. That's not how I want to talk, but it is how I talk. Jake, what are you doing this evening? You got anything planned? James, <laughs> no, my, my, my plans this evening don't matter. <laughs> How's your night looking? Something nerdy, no doubt? Dungeons and Dragons! Oh, I hit it on the head. Yeah, well done. So we're going to do that, and then a week of work. Such yeah. fun. Okay. And Flynn's back, so that'll be lovely. And remind me again... My boyfriend. Your boy... Because you have a boyfriend, I have right. a boyfriend, yeah. Note that down, while. Jake. Come on. Remember that. That's all right. It's okay. You're a bad friend. Um, <laughs> are you doing anything exciting the week coming up? Um, <laughs> I, I don't need to tell people my plans for a week that may already be done by the time they hear about it, but all thank right. you for being curious. Cool. That's cool. Hey, um, if you're doing a show, let us know. We would love to see more more theatre. We 100%. always want to see more theatre. We always want to see weird theatre. And stuff that is theatre adjacent and maybe not considered theatre. Let us come and see it. Just let, yes. let us come. Tell us about it. Please? <laughs> you sound like people are being really sick about their work. Some people are. <laughs> Tell me, please. Tell me, come on. <laughs> um, yes, as usual, we may already disagree with everything we just said. Yeah, that's weird. I usually say that. No, God, but you missed the second bit. No. Our you, opinions change. You've made that part. Yeah, that's, that's a thing that you've added over time. Oh. And friends don't let friends become theatre I, I would have said that bit. Okay. And yet the long pause. That's all right. And that pause is what? P um, uh, Pinter-esque. Yes, yes, some would say that. Yes, Harold Pinter. We're learning we're as a learning. group. We're learning. We're all learning. I know stuff. I know that Pinter-esque is not Pinterest. That's tr they are different things. Different things. Yes, yes. Yeah, one yeah, is for yeah. planning your wedding if you want it to look tacky, and, and the, the other, other one is a website. What? Uh, you're a dingus. All right. <laughs> um, Hopefully, speak to you all soon. Thank you so much for being here. Love you. Miss you. Wouldn't want to kiss you. Cool. Probably would want to kiss you. Come here. Yuck. <laughs>